I'm Lael Stone. I'm a educator, author, consultant, and speaker. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. Lael, yes. welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, before we dive in, there's a couple of things. Firstly, I'm extremely grateful that you've given up your time to come in. I'm very excited um, about our conversation. Secondly, I want to congratulate you on your book, which Thank has you. been um, a big success. And we'll have the link to that in the show notes below. And please correct me if I'm wrong because I don't want to stuff it up right from the start. But I believe it's raising resilient and compassionate children. Well done. Yes. Unreal. Good yes. stuff. And then thirdly, just because you're an absolute guru in parenting, I decided that I would dress up like a child today and I've come in wearing <laughs> a shirt that's got fucking food, dog hair. Perfect. You're keeping it real. And everything on me. So yeah. Um, yeah. playing right into character. But um, the first thing I wanted to touch on was self-limiting beliefs. That's something that I've been working through a lot um, lately and something I've been trying to learn about. Mm-hmm. And I often hear and so many people do that a lot of our self-limiting beliefs come from when we are children or from an early age. So in your experience, are there certain things as a parent or um, that you've kind of noticed within kids now that are typical kind of behaviours or typical occurrences that do lead to kind of damaging self-limiting beliefs later in life? Mm. That's a big, juicy question. I think... um I think fundamentally what I've found over all the years of doing this work is most people carry with them a story that says I'm not enough in some way. Now that um, that turns up in different degrees in all elements of people's life. So for some people that could be about I'm not smart enough, I'm not beautiful enough, um, I'm just not enough in who I am as a person, those kind of things. And I think a lot of those belief systems around enoughness do stem from childhood and a lot of it can come from actually way, way back when we're little, when we have big reactions to things. So when we get upset when we're little, when perhaps we get angry around things, perhaps we're really frustrated. And how our parents responded to us really does set up a story and an imprint around how we learn to express ourselves in the world and how we feel about ourselves. So, mm. for example, if when you were little and you were really angry about something and you got really upset and your parent moved into shaming you or perhaps sent you to your room because it wasn't acceptable for you to behave that way. Um, perhaps if they came in strong of, you know, you know that's not okay and I'll give you something to cry about. So more of what we call an authoritarian parenting lens. Then what often happens is you might have been sent to your room or you might have been shut down with your feelings and emotions. And in that moment, what we often choose to do as a child is we choose to go, gosh, my relationship with this caregiver is what I need to survive. So I'll shut down my feelings and be good in order to be loved, right? Suppress. So yeah, yeah, totally. So then what happens is we we shut that all down. And then often the next step from that is, well, that caregiver who's meant to love me deeply is angry with me, so maybe I'm a bad person. Maybe I'm not okay. And so often from a really young age, children can develop a story around not enoughness, you know, that um, I'm too loud, I'm too big, um, it's not safe for me to speak, it's not safe to express how I feel. Now, all of us to some degree will have elements of that, right? Because our Mm -hmm. parents, and I always say this, our parents are always doing the best job they knew how. Like even as a parent now, you know, I've got three kids and two of them are adults and and I still mess up and, you know, that's part of being human, right? So there is no perfect in parenting. We, we can't um, basically protect our children from having story that goes on. Mm. 
but we can do a lot to minimise it and then we can also build up our child to know that who they are is enough. All of them is mm. welcome you know, in the world. So I think it's, it's deep and it's complex and I think, you know, I mean, look, specifically things like shaming, which is not okay, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, mocking and criticising, of course that's going to set up really big, strong stories around I'm not okay and I'm not enough. But it's sometimes even the more subtle stuff, which has really got to do with, I think, big feelings and emotions that often then can set up those deeper imprints as humans. You mentioned shame and I would imagine for, I mean, I'm going to say this from my perspective because I'm not a parent, so I feel like some of this stuff I can't relate to 100%, but I'm going to do my best. I would imagine as a parent, obviously a lot of parents have shamed themselves, Mm -hmm. which then gets deflected onto the kids, which then obviously is a bit of a vicious cycle. So Mm -hmm. for someone that's listening who is a parent, like what are some practices or some things they can become a little more consciously aware of so that they're not kind of deflecting that onto their children or is there conversations that they should be having with their kids around like, you know, you know the other day I, I responded, I reacted mm. in this way, sorry, and, and that probably made you feel like this. Is, mm. is that something that needs to be brought up and, and actually identified and had a discussion about at the time or, mm. yeah, what's, what's kind of the process there? So I think I always come back to saying this, that one of the best gifts you can give your children is to know your own story which is to be mindful about how we are reacting and how we are responding in the moment. So, And that that's just not with parenting, that's with everything, mm-hmm. right? It's whether your work colleague says something to you and you get really you know, antsy about it or whether you know, your partner makes a comment and all of a sudden you get really defensive. It's, it's in any relationship that we have, right? And part of, I think, being a conscious human is being mindful enough to be able to like, ooh, I had a reaction then, what's that about for me? Now, parenting is like the perfect hotbox of crap to come up, right? Because (laughs) you have these little people in front of you who you can't actually control who are going to mirror back to you all your stuff. And there's a good reason why children do that because kids really ultimately come into this world and they're like, I just want to be free to be who I need to be in the world, Mm. right? And then we as parents go, well, I think having an excellent child will mean you get really good grades and you'll be really smart and you'll be really athletic and you'll be all these things. And And what we do as parents is we kind of try and box our kids in to this stuff because we believe that's a reflection of us on our enoughness on you know look at my fabulous child all that kind of stuff right now kids will come in and go don't don't place all your stuff on me like i want to be free to be who i need to be and so then that's where we often have the rub and the pushback goes on Mm -hmm. okay and so when parents go god they're not behaving the way i want them to or they're not fitting into the box i need then we try and control more Mm. and that's when those behaviors come out it's when we might be really reactive or we might shame our kids or we might move into trying to control them when really i think the bigger picture of all of that is that you know, our job as parents is to look at our own stuff and to deal with it, deal with our own wounds, deal with all the stuff that doesn't serve us so we don't project that onto our kids so they don't have to carry forward like our generational legacies of stuff. So I think part of of the work is really being able to, as an adult, is to be conscious and to be like, well, I had a really big reaction then. So whether that's with a child and you're just like, God, I'm really frustrated here, in that moment if you can pause, you can take a step out, you can go wash your hands, you can go put your feet on the grass and take a breath and go, what is going on for me in this moment? Because if we can catch it in that moment, we can then help to settle our nervous system, come back to a baseline, deal with whatever's going on in front of us and then come back and pick it up and go, what was my reaction about? Mm -hmm. So like I often explain it like this and this is probably one of the most classic ones that come up for – for parents is, 
you know, they're, let's just say the five-year-old's having a really hard day and five-year-old comes up to you and goes, I hate you, you're the worst dad in the world and you smell like poo or whatever they're saying, <laughs> right? Which, you know, they'll say. Now, as an adult, you know, we can have one or two reactions. The first reaction can be something like, oh, I wonder what's going on for Charlie. Like, wow, there's some pretty big words there. There must be something happening. Yeah. And we look behind the behaviour and we learn to lean in and go, yeah, okay, what's going on here, buddy? Mm -hmm. Because that's actually not who you really are. Yeah. You know, who you are is connected and, and magnificent. And at the moment, you know, there's some big feelings going on. So my job as the adult is to lean in. Mm. Or we have a reaction that goes, how dare you? How yeah. dare you speak to me that way? That is so disrespectful. And usually the words that come out of adults' mouths is, if I ever spoke to my parent that way, you know, I would have yeah, got a, yeah. a clip around the ears or whatever. Now that is the gold in there, right? Because in that moment when we're like, how dare you speak to me that way, we're having a big reaction. Mm. And I cannot tell you how many adults I've worked with when we dig a bit deeper into that, the story goes back into what happened when you were five and you might have yelled at your parents. They will be like, well, I got sent to my room or I got in trouble mm. or I might have got smacked or... And there's the wound, right? And the wound that often turns up in adulthood is is often the stuff that's from our childhood where we weren't seen, we weren't heard, we weren't able to express our feelings. So I think so much of coming back to your question is about the consciousness to be aware in mo any moment of like, what am I making this mean? Like what, mm. is, what is my reaction about here? And is this something for me to look at? Now sometimes we'll be in a situation where somebody will say something and really annoy us and something will go on and and it will be like you know what that doesn't feel good for me i need to set a boundary here and yeah. it, and we can in that moment go you know what that's actually not in alignment with me and and i'm going to say no to that or and you put something in place and mm -hmm. you realize yeah that was an edge too far but a lot of the times when we're having reactions it is about again our stories the imprints that we carry stuff that is this tapping us into our kind of those sweet wounds and our children are just like the perfect people to do that for us yeah, definitely. I think the word that seems to keep coming up, and it's funny, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Yeah, and then cool. I've just re-listened for like the third time to her next one, The Greatest Secret, mm -hmm. and that's very much so about just becoming more aware in general and how powerful that is. But you mentioned um, like the controlling thing, right, and setting these boundaries like in place, like, how, like, how do you know when enough is enough or when, as you said, like there, it is just too much? or Because um, I, I would imagine giving too much freedom gets to the point where the child gets to the point where it's like, well, I can do whatever I want because mum or dad's just going to be like, oh, are yeah. you all right today or how yeah. are you feeling? So like how do you know when is enough is enough? Is it like a, after an X amount of time mm. you kind of pull them up on it or, or what does that kind of look like? That's a really, really good question because I think – most of us got brought up in a paradigm where we either had that really strong authoritarian mm. parent, which was like, this is how it goes. They power over, they use force or control, they take something away from you if you're not doing something that they like. So really that authoritarian element, which is all about control, right? And then we swing to the other end, which is permissive parenting, which is all about, oh, I just want to keep you happy all the time. So mm. there is no boundaries, right? Yeah. And actually where we want to sit is in the middle, where we want to have beautiful, loving, firm boundaries and also all the love and connection there. Mm -hmm. So I, I often explain it to parents this way, right, that – um, I come back to the children are what I call either imbalance or out of balance, right? Yeah. So when a child's in balance, they're happy, they're usually really agreeable, they're connected, you know, they're feeling good in their beings and their body and they're usually relaxed and, 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 you know, it feels good, right? When they're out of balance is when, 
you know, they might be hitting their sibling or they're yelling at the dog and they won't do what you ask them to do. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on. You can see they're agitated. Mm. You, know, you can see this stuff brewing. So I think a thing what I often say to parents is we always have to learn to look behind the behaviour and go, there's a reason why children are out of balance. Like a child just doesn't wake up in the morning and go, you know what, today I'm going to give mum hell, right? I'm yep. gonna, I'm just going to make her life really difficult today, yep. right? They don't. Their motivation actually is to be deeply connected to us. No child feels good hitting another child or biting yeah. someone or being mean. They're doing it because there's there's hurt there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes when a child is out of balance, it's because there's a need that hasn't been met. Like maybe they need food, maybe they're hungry, maybe they need, you know, more sleep, maybe they need some connection and love, maybe they haven't seen you enough. And when we meet that need, then they come back into balance. Yeah. But then one of the other reasons why kids can be out of balance is because they can have an accumulation of feelings and stresses or even old traumas mm-hmm. that are surfacing, right? And you think about... Like, and I, I really, you know, I find I get so deeply passionate about this, is that children are often treated as second-class citizens in our world. They're told what to do all the time, <laughs> yeah. right? And you think about, even if you cast your mind back to what it was like being in primary school, you know, you got told where to sit, when to sit, you had to ask yeah. go to the toilet, you're only allowed to eat at certain times during the day, you know, you had to be made to sit down and write in a way that maybe that didn't feel good for you, maybe you're the type of kid that needed to move your body lots. Um, you know, you there was so much control in their lives, mm. right? Now, I often say to adults, if you had to go to primary school for all day, you would come home and you would probably be so wound up because you'd be like, yeah. God, I've been taking orders all day from people, yeah. right? And yet we just we expect our children to do this. And so then they come home from school, they come home from kindergarten or they come home from grandma and papa's where they've had to be good boys and good girls all day. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I can't cope anymore. Oh, and all of yeah. them, their feelings come pouring out, right? Yeah. And so we as a culture, I think, have been taught to go, well, that's bad behaviour and that's not okay, when it's actually a normal response to feeling stressed, right? Like so us as adults, when we've had a really stressful day at work, when we're feeling really stretched, maybe we haven't had enough sleep, all those kind of things, and we come home you know, and our partner packs the dishwasher the wrong way or, you know, they didn't pick up the chicken that they'll need to pick up and we all of a sudden lose it at them. Now we're adults, right? We've yeah functioning prefrontal cortex and you know hopefully 30 or 40 years of emotional awareness and we react in that way yeah. yet we often berate children for it responding in that Doing way the same right thing yeah so so coming back to it is when we're looking at boundaries and limits which are really really important the first thing we always want to look at is well let's look behind the behavior so if a child walks into the room and they start picking up something and they're throwing it at the dog you know our absolute response is to get in there and make sure everybody's safe right Mm. but we don't do it by yelling and screaming at them we get in there and we're like hey i'm not willing for you to do that mate and i'm here and i'm here to keep you safe and you hold the boundary and the limit. Now, what we also expect is that if a child is really agitated or there's some big feelings going on, they're going to push up against that boundary and then there's all these feelings that are going to come pouring out. And that's not a bad thing because when a child gets to express their hurt and their upset and their anger, mm-hmm. then they find their way back into balance. Yeah, and then, to process it properly. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah. And they're still learning how to do it, yeah. right? And so in those moments, our job is to bring the calm because when we bring the calm and we bring the listening – it models empathy to them and then they're able to move those big feelings. So I always come back to behaviour is that whenever I'm working with a parent, they're like, my child keeps doing this, right? I'm like, well, we sometimes need to set limits and say I'm not willing for you to do that. Mm-hmm. But then we also have to be willing to hear how they feel about that. So many yeah. parents expect that, you know, when you say no to a child that your child's going to go, 
yeah, good limit, no worries. Okay, Dad, sure, right? And they'll just do whatever you say. It doesn't happen like that. They come back and go, why? That's not fair and I want it to be this way. And that's actually what they're meant to do, right? We mm. want them to have a voice. But it's our job as the adult in that moment to stay calm and to hold the space for the storm to pass, right? Because it's just a hold of feelings that they need to move and come back into balance. And the beautiful thing about this, right, is when you do this with your children, when we don't shame them and shut them down for feeling is as they grow and as they get older, they learn to develop this emotional intelligence to be able to articulate how they're feeling. So instead of coming into the room and throwing something at the dog, they come in and go, Mom, I'm so angry. I've had the worst day at school today and I just feel so pent up. Can you help me? And you're like, yeah, man, let's have a pillow fight. Or how about we go outside and scream at the trees or let's put on some music and rage dance or whatever we're going to do. Let's move the feelings through your body. Right. Or if they come in and they're really sad and upset instead of, you know, you know, have some chocolate, you'll be fine. Or here, what's your favorite Mm -hmm. Netflix show? We're like, hey, just tell me all about it. Have a cry, like feel it. So we are a culture that does not like to feel right. Mm. We are all good at let's be mindful and let's think positive. But we have bypassed feelings for a really, really long time. We've made them wrong. And so I think the thing is when we're looking at stuff like boundaries and limits, they're really, really important. But it's reading the situation to be like, okay, what is my child needing here? Mm -hmm. If I'm looking behind the behaviour, what am I thinking they're telling me? And that's when we can respond. We can respond with some connection and closeness. We can respond with a limit to say, hey, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. And then we hold space for their feelings. Or, you know, we can respond with some playfulness and see how that goes. So I think it's, it's not a one, two, three step process, right? I think it is about the child and about being attuned enough to your child to then know, yeah, I can see what's going on here. Yeah, you can definitely see how if their parent doesn't have the awareness or the ability to tap into their emotional intelligence and and feel their own feelings, how it would be very easy for them to bypass even considering allowing their child to to do it as well. Um, Correct me if I say this wrong, Woodline Primary? Yeah. Yes. I believe I read that it was kind of like made and, and based off uh, connection, mm. right? And you've obviously mentioned before um, how structured and rigid like primary school is and how, how kids just get told what to do all day, every day, and it's always been that way, I guess. Mm. What are some of the things that are implemented with Woodline to change that or is there certain mm. kind of values or principles that you've based that off? Yeah, so Woodline um – So really it came about because one of my clients who I'd been working with for a few years, um, her child was about to start school and and she was just like, I just hate that it's so punitive and that, you know, he can't move his body when he needs to and he can't eat when he needs to and all those kind of things. And um, she's like, I just wish there was a school that was, you know, all the things that you've taught me. And I'm like, well, if it exists, I don't know of it because, you Mm. know, I've my kids struggled through the schooling system. I hated the schooling system. I have so many clients that did it. And so she just really proposed to me, what if we built a school based on all the things you've taught me? Which, you know, I think I look back now and I like, was laughing at her going, yeah, of course, like I have no <laughs> idea how to build a school. But she was like, let's do it. You know, we've, she had the, the money and the infrastructure to do it and she's like, you know, let's do this. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, it's, it's not often that someone hands you the opportunity to build something that could make a massive difference yeah. in the world um, and that believed in you enough to do it. You know, So it took me ages to get my self-belief around yeah. to go, okay, let's do this. But really the whole essence of Woodline is on focusing on the whole child. So you know, what I know from my work is that children learn best when they feel safe. 
So when they feel seen and acknowledged by the adult that's there, when they have choice and autonomy, right? So where they can sit on the couch or on the floor or on the chair if they want, like this, they're allowed. Um, where all their feelings and emotions are welcome, right? So we often, I say the contrast is most children need to armour up to go to school every day, right? They have to be good all day. They have to fit into this box of this is what we're teaching you, even if I've got no interest in it. So, you know, what we're looking at or what we wanted to do with Woodline is we wanted to bring it back to emotional safety first, like in that really beautiful trauma-informed lens, which is things like you can wear whatever you want. Like you don't have to wear shoes at our school. They can climb trees. Most of the time they're so dirty, which means they've had a really good day, right? It is a farm school. So, you know, there's lots of nature around. They take care of the animals. We have to follow the Australian curriculum so we do everything that what um, schools have to do to be registered but the way we deliver it is really around that beautiful choice and autonomy so children get the choice about how they learn best do they learn best moving their body do they learn best by sitting down with a pen and paper do they learn best by using their hands and building something and we really bring it back to what are we teaching the kids and what relevance does that have in their world, right? Because so often children are taught stuff and they're like, I don't even know why I'm learning this. I'm mm. learning this information to regurgitate it back to you in a test and then it leaves my brain. Yeah, for sure. Right? So we wanted to be able to create opportunities for children to be able to learn in ways that um, make sense to them, that they're inspired about, that they have ideas. So one of the beautiful things we do at our school is we all say to all the kids, no idea is too big, big, right? So mm-hmm. if you have an idea, write it down, take it to the principal, right? So kids come up with the best stuff. We've just um, put a BMX track in the back of our school, right? Because the kids wanted to ride their BMX bikes. Our older classes um, came up with it. They wanted to build a treehouse, right? And so that was the most brilliant project because it involved everything, numeracy, literacy. It involved project management. Yeah. It involved how do we raise money to do it? Like it was extraordinary. We got builders to come in architects to come in to talk to the kids like they've been they've touched every part of this project as they're building it and seeing it come to life now that is something that they're engrossed Mm. in and want to do right so you know every all the kids often come up with these really amazing ideas like the latest one is they went to claire and said i think we need a giraffe and she's like i don't know about (laughs) the permits for that (laughs) that, but do some research and, and come back to me so i think um you know, what we look at or what we're doing with Woodline is we're trying to bring it back to the child, right? And and yes, we have to tick all the boxes of um, governance and all the things that we need to do and, and also their education. But what we've seen in the three years that we've been open is the learning is extraordinary because the children feel safe, they want to come to school, they feel engaged, mm-hmm. they have choice. And I think the other big piece that we see that's probably really different to the school is that you know, a lot of the philosophy of what I talk about is always looking behind the behaviour. If a child's in class and they're really agitated and they're not feeling good, our first question is what do you need, right? What's going on in your body? You tell me. So we're really getting the children to tune into themselves to go, I just I need to move my body. And we're like, awesome, go have a jump on the trampoline for 10 minutes or go f- go for a swing. You know, we have um, – we, we call our teachers guides because we believe they are guides, you know, our mm-hmm. children, they, they learn. Um, and we have assistant guides whose job in the classroom is or the learning space is to just be there to emotionally tune into the kids so that when they are having a hard time, they're tuned into going, do you need to go move your body or do you need to go have a chat or what's going on for you? And so that's where we welcome tears and we welcome the feelings. So we know that when the children express them, they come back into balance and they're ready to learn. And through it, what we see is through the languaging of this, through the modelling of it, the kids now, they ask for what they want. They don't need to act out in class and they're, they're, yeah. they're developing the ability to go, hey, 
I'm feeling really agitated. I'm feeling really out of balance. I need this. And we go, great. And we do it. And then they're back on board. A couple of things. Firstly, that would have to make such a significant difference for the parents at home. Mm. Um, and secondly, you know, when you think about it, obviously as secondary school comes around, you get slightly more choice in what you're doing. But I didn't really go to uni. But when, when you get to uni, it's like you're pretty much doing what you guys are doing mm. without the guides. It's like all of a sudden you mm. pretty much are just mm. have the freedom to do whatever you yeah. want and still have yeah. to learn. Yeah. So I would say that prep, the preparation for that yeah. would be significantly better. Kane and I were mentioning, uh, Kane, sorry, Kane mentioned to me before the chat to ask you whether or not you found a difference in the learning environments for male and female mm. or whatever we're going to mention there. But mm. um, obviously with co-ed schools, yeah, mm. co-ed schools, um, is there a difference between the two in mm. terms of what environment seems to be better for mm. either or? I don't think so because I think the way well, what we're not really seeing that we have so much, um, we have such beautiful learning spaces. So wherever we can learn outside, we always do. Mm-hmm. So we really encompass, we really include nature into whatever we're doing. Um, you'll find that sometimes when sometimes some of the boys are agitated, they'll want to go and build stuff. So we have hammers and saws and tinkering and so the kids can go construct whenever they want and that can be really beautifully regulating for them. Some some prefer to sit and read, you know, yeah. some prefer to climb a tree. So um, I haven't... I haven't noticed that it's such a huge difference, but yeah. we have options for everybody to use. And I think it comes back to going, what do you know you need for you? You know, yeah. and I think, you know, I mean, I talk about our school and I see it's um, it, it's way more magnificent than what I ever dreamed it to be, which is a pretty cool thing when you build something. Because, you know, I remember when we opened, I thought, God, I hope this works <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> I, you know, I, it's not really – I'm not basing it on something else that I've seen before. I'm basing yeah. it on all these things that I'd learned or knew or – it's a school I wished I could have gone to. It's a school I wished I could have sent Sounds my unreal, kids to, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I remember thinking, God, I hope this works, <laughs> right? And and now if you use down the track, I go, wow, it's actually better than what I ever thought it could be. And that's got to do with the amazing people that we have working there who are really beautiful innovators in education because they're coming back to that core place of a child is a beautiful open vessel ready to learn, right? But we so often shut that down mm-hmm. by not doing these fundamental things of choice and autonomy. So how do we help them learn how to be in the world, right? Because the world isn't like Woodline, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. like, you know, often parents say, well, what's going to happen after grade six? And mm. I'm like, well, they're going to go out into the world and we're going to equip them with the tools that they need yeah. to to go out in the world. But we really do believe that if we can harness that beautiful, deep um, love of learning and connection to self, yeah. then no matter where they go, they'll be okay. Uh, something that I do a lot of is as much as possible personal development, whether it's, um, you know, I, I meditate a lot now, um, really diving into like breath work, different biohacking things, whether it be, you know, ice baths and stuff like that. But I also just love listening or watching um, like positive content and valuable content. Um, and on that note, the TEDx talk, I think it's like over like over a million down. It's about views. it's about three point two million now across um, the TED platform and YouTube. So yeah, it's, it's Crazy. a lot of people. It's a lot of people. That's yeah. awesome. Is there certain things that you're implementing at school or um, or that you'd recommend for parents to be implementing with kids or even just for themselves um, that you found really beneficial around personal development? Whether it is mm-hmm. something as simple as you know. Our um, good mutual friend Hugh, like he's obviously big on gratitude. Mm. 
um, and teaching that to kids, but also for the parents as well. Like, are there certain practices that you found really beneficial? I think children are watching everything. So being an authentic human is the best way to teach them. So I often come back to parents and go, our children watch everything we do, right, which can feel terrifying <laughs> because we're yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay, you know we're doing, say we say do this and we're doing the exact opposite. If we want our kids to be beautifully empathetic, aware, conscious humans, then we have to model that to them. And that's with everything. That's with how we eat. It's how we re- respond and relate to technology. It's how we talk to each other in intimate relationships it's how we feel about our bodies and take care of our bodies. It's how we respond to anger. What do we model around that? It's how we feel when we're um, sad and upset. You know, so often I'll say to parents, your kids are hardwired into you, right? And when you're upset, your child will come up to you and go, are you okay? Now if we go, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's fine, I'm okay. Then what we're doing in that moment is we're offering, offering often teaching our children not to trust their gut. But we're also bypassing our feelings and saying, it's fine, I'm just not going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to going... I feel really sad today and I want to go and talk to a friend or I'm going to go do some yoga or I journal because that makes me feel better. Like we have to model these behaviours to our children so that they get an understanding about how we cope and how we do life. Mm. So if if you were to have a child and they see you meditating and doing breath work, then they'll go, that's what's normal, that's what you do. And then they join in with that, right? Mm. So, you know, I I learned this the hard way with my three kids, you know, because when I became a mum, particularly when I had my daughter, I remember thinking, oh, my God, who she's going to be as a woman in the world is based on me. And so what am I doing? Like where am I in this picture here? And so it was a real – it was a harsh reality to just have to look at myself and go, well, who do I want her to be? I wanted to be a really strong, amazing, confident woman in the world, so am I doing that? I wanted to absolutely love and take care of her body. Am I modelling that to Mm -hmm. her? I want her to have strong yeses and nos and and know that she can speak her mind. Am I doing that? And so I think – when it comes back to how do we help our children, you know, be more conscious in life, the first place is they just start in the home. They're watching you. You know, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter what school you send them to, well, it kind of does, but like, you know, what school we send them to or what course they're doing, whatever, the biggest imprint they have is from your parents, is mm. from what we've been, what language we spoke at home, right? Yeah. That's what it is. That's what is being embedded in them of this is how life is. So if, you know, you have a really strong story as a parent that you can't trust people and people are dodgy and you've got to be careful and you keep talking about that, then your kids are going to grow up going, yeah, people are yeah. sketchy, right? Be really careful. So we want to bring some more mindfulness to well, what are the messages I'm putting out there? And I know if you're a parent, you can be like, oh God, <laughs> this is not great, <laughs> right? But it's this is the beautiful accountability of having children to go, how do we be the best version of ourselves so they are then free to be the best version of them? That's awesome. One thing I, uh, I always think about actually is, and this may apply more for um, young boys, I, I don't know, it probably applies the same for young girls as well, but as let's say a dad mm. talking to their son, especially when they're young, mm. like you know, whenever I see a little a little kid or a little baby or whatever, like my – all of a sudden I turn into some different person and start talking in this weird yeah. voice and whatnot. Like as a dad to their son mm-hmm. when they're quite young, is there a certain approach that is better than others, like to be talking in a way that you're not treating them like some mm-hmm. little kid or yeah. like how is that kind well, of – Well, I mean, here's little? the thing. We do that because we 
somewhere in our brains and our bodies we try to attune to a child so often our voices will go higher they'll mm. go a bit sing-songy that's actually an inbuilt beautiful thing around connection and attunement so that's not a bad thing right <laughs> that's we we do that and most people will do that because they're like oh my god this yeah. so cute. and so because somewhere we're trying to attune to where that is and children often respond to that but i think i think we have to just come back to seeing children even from little babies, toddlers, school-age kids as all beautiful autonomous beings, which means how we speak to them is as how we'd like to be spoken to within ourselves. So, yes, we can be super playful and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but coming back to, you know, simple things, like even you can start like even when you're changing a baby's nappy or getting your toddler dressed is just saying to them what you're doing. I'm going to take your T-shirt off now and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You know, we, we want information and we want to feel respected in mm. that way and so i think if we can bring as much presence as possible to what we're doing with our kids and and how we communicate that to them then that is a really respectful way to to do it but you know i, I come back to you know there's all these information out there about parenting and do this and do that and again even when i do talks i go to people just forget everything i've said Come back to connection. Yeah. This is the baseline, connection, right? Yeah. Connection is it. And you know what connection feels like because it feels like eye contact. Mm -hmm. It feels like smiling. It feels beautiful, like being together. You, you're setting – you're coming from a place of connection and calm within your body. Like that's what connection is. And mm -hmm. that is – that is all we desire and crave as humans. You know, the, yeah. the, coming back to that first question we talked about, about the enoughness, you know, that – is our fundamental need as humans is to know that who we are is enough and that that those parents or the people who love us see all of us and deeply and deeply mm. accept all of who we are the angry bits the sad bits the happy bits the joyous bits and that comes through connection 100% that's one of the things i love the most about podcasting yeah. is the fact that you, that you do have so much connection with the guest particularly when you get to mm. do it in person um, especially when you you don't really know them or you've only just met them. Mm. It's like how often would you even sit down with your good friend for 45 minutes to an hour with zero distractions face-to-face -face and genuinely having a, a really in-depth conversation? One last thing because I want to be mindful of your time because you're extremely busy and um, helping a lot of people But and I'm certain that this episode is going to help a lot of people too because I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone has either a friend and it could be – could be the person listening to this, you may be this person, but we've all seen or, or had parents where they've had issues with their parents, which has then led them to parent in that way, which has then, then crossed over to the kids as well. And, um, you know, for some, if they're fortunate enough, then the, the kids may have picked up on that and understand that. What – is there anything that – how am I going to word this right? So let's say you're the – child and you've grown up and you've realized that now you come to the realization that your parents were that way because of the, the way that they were parented mm. what are some things that you can do or this person can do in order to work through those kind of um whether it be the the trauma or the the limiting beliefs that they've had kind of almost forced upon them not intentionally it's just happened that way um in order for when they become a parent that they don't kind of continue the cycle on and on and on that's a good question um so, well, I think the first piece is being curious as to our story. So I work with adults a lot around this. And the first thing is we, in order to move forward, we have to know where we've come from, right? So it's really important to be curious to look back and go, okay, so what was my imprint around anger in my family? 
or what was my imprint around tears and what was my imprint around joy or doing what I love or money or like pick a thing, right? Mm. And when we can actually start to be curious and go, right, well, what were the messages I got, right? We start to actually begin to form a bit of an understanding as to why we are the way we are. Now, when we come to that firstly, we can then often what can come up for a lot of adults I work with is they start to get angry towards their parents. You know, why did mum and dad not respond to me in that way? And why did they teach me that? And and a really important piece is to express that anger, not to them, like somewhere else, right? Journal yeah. it, speak <laughs> to a friend. And, and then be able to understand where your parents have come from, if you said, you know, perhaps they were immigrants and they were just flat out trying to keep a roof over your head. Perhaps they, you know, you, your father actually got, you know, beaten by his father and, you know, mm. he was doing the best job he knew how with all his trauma, you know, because we all have trauma. Yeah. And so when we can actually begin to understand their story a little bit more, we hopefully can move into some compassion for where they've come from. And then we actually get to take ownership of our story and go, well, yeah, hey, that is where I've come from, but it is my story. But what we do have, and we all have this, is we have the power of perception and we have the power of choice yeah. for how we're going to deal with life. So when we begin to unpack a bit of our story, we can go, well, right, my imprint around intimacy and relationships, for example, was mm. that it's not safe to trust anyone and, and be loved. So you keep everybody at a distance. All right, so where did that come from? Well, it came from that dynamic and that relationship. So, all right, let's let's sit with that there. Now what do we do? What would I want my imprint to be like? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe my imprint, I want it to be that it's really safe for me to have deep, intimate relationships. It's safe for me to love, for example, mm -hmm. right? Now often when I say to people, you know, what would you want it to look like, right? They go, I want it to look like this. And then we kind of go, all right, so if that's what we want, what's the scariest thing that could happen if you have that? And here's the thing that is always the piece, which is the tripping up spot, is we we have some deep desire for what we do want, but there is always a piece in the middle that blocks us from having it because somewhere in our psyche it says it's dangerous if we have that. So if we come back to like an intimacy thing, right? Mm. If we grew up in a family where no one said they loved each other and you mm. know you had you know you showed love by yelling or whatever, and then you know, we go, but I want to be deeply intimate with someone and I want to love deeply. And we go, okay, that's what you want. That is a beautiful desire to put out there. That's your intention. But what would it mean if you have that? Well, sometimes what that would mean for someone is, but then I could actually get hurt. Yeah, vulnerability. So, yeah. yeah, so it's actually easier for me to keep it at a distance, right? Yeah, right? Or perhaps, you know, put it in the context of I want to be real, I want to be really successful in what I do, right? Which a lot of people want. Yeah. I want to be successful. I want to have kick-ass business. I want to do all these things. Amazing, right? So tell me what your dream is. I want it to be this, this, and this. And I go, okay. And what's the worst thing that could happen if you had that? You know, what's the fear there? How willing are you to have that? And people will go, oh, yeah, I want it. But, and I go, but what? Mm. well what if I was successful then people might judge me yeah or what if I was successful then will my family will think I'm arrogant yeah. or if I was successful I don't know just put your thing in there right put yeah. your belief system in there so they're all just belief systems they're all just stories we tell ourselves and those stories usually come from those deeply rooted imprints that we receive as children not all of them do but a yeah. lot of them some well. come from culture and society right a lot of come from schooling I tell you <laughs> that turns up a lot with the people I yeah. work with 
So, you know, the work is, I guess, to come back to going, what am I making it mean, right? Where is the story? It's it's me. What do I make it mean? And how do we work with it? Well, we firstly get curious about it. We understand where the stories come from. We then look at what we do want and then we look at the piece that sits in the middle, which is usually around a fear of what would happen if I had that. And that's where we start to take tiny little steps into that fear. You yeah. action one thing, yeah. right? You start to be vulnerable with someone that you like or you be brave enough to send someone an email for a job that you really, really want or you take one little action step and then go, I took that step, what happened? I'm still alive, it's okay, we'll take another little step, we'll take another little step and then yeah. we start affirming for what we do want. You know, intention matters, Yeah. right? You know, if you're talking about the secret and stuff like that, life can't give us what we're not being clear on. Yeah. So part of it, again, is to understand what we do want, to look at the story of where we've come from and then work with those pieces in between so we can actually get towards what it is that we want. You know, I had a big story for many years, you know, um, I've, I've worked in many different fields, all these kind of fields for the last 20 years or so. And I was, I was like, yeah, I really want to be big. I want to be big. And part of me is like, I want to be seen and I want to be heard and all those kind of things. And yet then I'd also feel this like resistance in my body. And I'd be like, what is that? And I'm like, well, my story as I kind of take, you know, step through those points was, but if I'm big and I'm out there, then people will judge me and then I'm not going to be able to cope with that because I need everybody yeah. to like me, right? That used to be my strong belief system. I need everybody to like me in order to feel safe. That was a lot of my imprint growing up. And then I realised actually, well, I, I have no control over that. Yeah. What people think of me is what people think of me and that is okay. So what can I do to make it safe enough for me to move forward, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an intention of I really want to put my work out there in the world and I want it to help people. And if people don't like me, well, then, then I, don't, I don't ever hear about it. Yeah. Like I just won't hear about yeah. it. It's fine and I'll just keep doing what I do. Well, they're not your people you want around. No, they're not anyway. my yeah. people, yeah. yeah, and that is okay. And so I had to really lean into those steps to feel brave enough to yeah. put yourself out there to do stuff, which meant sending emails to people and putting yourself out there and, and well, if someone rejects me, it doesn't matter. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm winning purely because I'm giving it a go, yeah. right? So I think there's so many different things for all of us that hold us back or that keep us small because of the fears and the stories that, that usually started when we were little that actually aren't even true anymore. That's epic. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for coming in. And I could I could genuinely just sit here for another mm. hour or two and keep talking to you. Um, so thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And we will have the links to all of your stuff in the show notes Thanks. below. Um, and hopefully we can sit down again at some point and do another Love one. Too. Yeah. As I said, this has been great. But, um, yeah. Thank you for your time. And for everyone who has tuned in to this episode, whether you're watching it or listening to it, um, I am almost certain you've taken some value from this. So if you have, we'd love for you to share this with someone that you are friends with or a family member, a work colleague, or take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story for us and tag us both. As I said, I'll have Lael's uh, Instagram and whatnot in the show notes below. Uh, But thank you. Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. 